Our scripture reading this morning is from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, 12 through 13. All right. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Okay. We are very pleased to welcome Doug Burrell here today. Okay. However, we miss Julie. Yes, she All must right. be in here. All right, and we look forward to the message that you have to share with us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Good morning, happy Sabbath. Um, Julie did say to say hi to everybody and send her love. She does. She was so sorry she couldn't be here this morning. Um, but please keep her in prayer. Um, before we start, I would like to have prayer and invite the Holy Spirit and invite you to join me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you on this holy Sabbath day, Lord. And Father, what a privilege it is to serve you. What a privilege it is to worship you. Father, we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit right here, right now, Lord. Father, we, we know that you have blessings in store for each one of us. Father, I pray that as I speak, that the words I speak are your words. I simply want to be a mouthpiece to be used by you, Lord. I just want to be a tool in your tool belt to share the good news of, of you and your love. So, Father, please be with us today as we open up your word. Let the Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the scripture today in 1 Corinthians, um, you know, Julie and I are members of the Portsmouth Church, and the Portsmouth Church likes to do, Pastor Phil and the elders like to do a series. So, they'll pick a a topic or a book and they'll do a series and I got invited to do this particular one and um, a way of escape and I thought how relevant is that today you know don't we all need a way of escape I grew up in what is known now as the golden age of television The late 60s, early 70s, and there were many great shows back then. Most of them are relegated now to the retro channels somewhere in your cable system. I still watch them from time to time. I think some of them are great. I love Andy Griffith. But one of my favorites when I was a kid, maybe it was one of your favorites too, was Gilligan's Island. See, everybody loves that show. I was just going to say, some of you are now singing the theme to Gilligan's Island in your heads right now. It was a great show. You know, you had the seven stranded castaways. They had left for a three-hour tour. No, I'm not going to sing the song. But you had a great mix of people. I mean, some of them, like the Howells, they packed like they were going away forever. 
right? And then some of them literally just had the clothes on their back. And the theme to the show was watching these seven different individuals adjust to life on this deserted island. Thankfully, they had the professor who could pretty much make anything out of anything, right? But while adjusting to life on the island, they didn't want to stay there. They wanted to go home, right? So every week in every episode, there was some sort of a plan that was going to get them home. And every week and every episode, the plan got foiled, usually by Gilligan, okay? Now, he wasn't trying to mess up. Gilligan was a goofy, lovable character. He meant really well. He really did. It's just, well, every episode, he did something that messed up the plan of escape for them. In my humble opinion, it was really a great show. But what does that have to do with our message today? You know, that's a great question. I'm so glad you guys asked that. You know, I thought of my own walk with Jesus. I get tempted. Sometimes it seems like I get tempted a lot. And every time that I try to overcome on my own, I will fail. I just will. Like Gilligan, I mean well. I have good intentions. But I get in the way. And the plan gets foiled. No matter how hard I try and try, I will fail over and over again. So what should I do? Do I... Just give in to temptation? Should I lock myself away in a room from all people and from everything? That one sounds tempting for about a day or so, right? Friends, I can't do this on my own. I just can't. You know, we're told in verse 12 to beware that if we think we're standing on our own, we will fall. I can testify to that so many times in so many ways. No matter how many times I try to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, I'm going to fail. On the show, the skipper would often give Gilligan, other than hitting him on the head with his hat, but would often give Gilligan this look of like, you did it again. And then I wonder, I hope God's not giving me that look. Dog, you did it again. I don't believe he is because he's such a loving God. But why do we try to fix ourselves? If it doesn't work, why do we keep trying? First question, can we fix ourselves? You know, I've heard people say this, and it's kind of sad. They say things like, well, I need to clean myself up. I need to get really serious about this. And I think, how sad. Because I wonder, and I've said that in the past, so I wonder, when we make these type of statements, do we really know Christ? 
Because knowing Jesus, for me personally, the more I've gotten to know him, the more I realize my condition. It sounds weird to say, but the closer I get to Christ, the bigger of a sinner I am. I didn't know how much of a sinner I was before. But Jesus is our only hope. Let me say that again. Jesus is our only hope. Amen. Let me give you an illustration. When I first came to the church, and there's a young man sitting in the corner there who was our head elder back then, but when I first came to the church, I had a lot of, I was in the world. I mean, I had a lot of issues and was not living according to God's will. But one of the things I struggled with, in particular, was smoking cigarettes. I hate to tell you how young I was when I started smoking, but I was not even a teenager. I hung out on the street corner with older kids, and I wanted to be cool like them. And now I was coming to Christ. I, I, I found this church, and I'm struggling with smoking. And I know it's wrong, and I know I need to stop. And, and I tried to quit many, many times. Now, when I was in church, obviously I didn't smoke in church, I didn't want to lie. I wouldn't lie to anybody. If somebody asked me, Do you, are you smoking? Yes, I am. But, I mean, I wouldn't walk out the front steps and light a cigarette. But I would get in my car, and I'd drive down the street, and I'd look in the mirror, make sure there's no church members following me, and then I'd light up. And I struggled with this for many years. And I kept trying to quit. And I had a friend tell me, don't quit quitting. And that sounded like good advice at the time, but I really couldn't overcome this. And then one day, May 15, 2006, I was in the mortgage industry. I had just been recruited by a national bank to work here in New Hampshire for them. And they were going to fly me to New York for training for a week. Well, I happened to have a day off one day, and I'm standing in my kitchen, and the thought came to me, Doug, you really need to quit smoking. And I said to myself, yeah, I'll do it next week when I get back from New York. I'll do it next week when I get back from New York. And then I heard a, a voice. I don't believe it was audible. I don't believe if there was anybody else in the room, they would have heard it. But in my head, I heard the words, who promised next week to you? I've got to be honest with you. Right there in my kitchen, I fell to my knees, and I started to cry. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, you're right. You didn't promise next week to me. And right there, May 15, 2006, by God's grace, I overcame cigarettes. And I threw them all away, whatever I had, got rid of ashes, lighters, the whole nine yards, got rid of the whole, everything. Went to New York, and by God's grace, I haven't had a cigarette since May 15, 2006. But the thing was, I intended to do it my way. 
when I get back from New York, I will quit smoking. Why was I clinging to doing it a way that I had failed over and over again? What do they say, the definition of insanity? Keep doing the same thing over again and expecting different results? God said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. He was telling me, Doug, this is the day. This is the way of escape from this evil addiction you have to nicotine. So as I said, since May 15, 2006, by God's grace, I've overcome tobacco. Praise the Lord. But temptations keep coming, don't they? I have to confess to you that when I smoked, and again, I started at a very, very early age, I enjoyed it. I knew it was bad. You know, the markings on the package, you know, Surgeon General says it causes cancer. But I enjoyed it. And I think that was part of the reason it was so hard for me to overcome it. But temptations keep coming. A month later, after I had received the victory on this, (coughs) excuse me, keep forgetting this right there. Um, I was cleaning out my car one day, and I was cleaning out the center console in your car, which, let's face it, that becomes the junk drawer. And that's like your junk drawer. Every house, I don't care who it is, every house has a junk drawer somewhere in their house. Ours is in the kitchen, right? Everything just kind of piles in there. Your center console in your car becomes the junk drawer of your car, usually. So I'm cleaning out my car, I'm vacuuming it and all this stuff, washing the windows, and, and I'm cleaning out the center console. And, I'm, and it, it was a deep center console, and I had a lot of junk piled in there. And I'm digging through it, and I'm digging through it, and I get to the bottom, and lo and behold, there's an unopened pack of cigarettes sitting right there. It was a temptation. And I thought to myself, wow. Remember, I used to enjoy smoking. And I said, I could have a cigarette and nobody would know. Then the Holy Spirit said, I'll know. And I picked up that pack of cigarettes and I got out of my car and I held them up like this. I said, these don't belong to me anymore. And I crushed them in my hand and I threw them away. Praise the Lord. Those don't belong to me anymore. It's only through God's grace that I can overcome anything. It's only through God's grace that each of you can overcome anything. You want to hear something pathetic? Before I became a Christian, one of my favorite songs was by Frank Sinatra, but I actually liked the Elvis Presley version of it better. And it was the song called My Way. You know the song. I did it my way. That's why I don't sing out loud usually. I love that song. I really resonated with that song. I did it my way. I used to say, that's my song. Here's the pathetic part. I used to say... I married my first wife at the time and I, used to, I told her I said if I die I want that played at my funeral 
I want everybody to know I did it my way. How pathetic. How sad. But I didn't know Jesus back then. Now, I want my song to be I did it God's way. But you see, the greatest gift, and I know I've talked about this before, but the greatest gift that God's ever given us is that freedom to choose. We can choose him or we can choose to reject him. Choice is yours. It's mine. For many of us, it's hard to choose to do things God's way. Sometimes maybe we think we're doing things God's way, but if we really dig deep, the motivation is more about us. Am I getting a right answer every time that dings or something? <laughs> every time I make a good point, ding! I like that. One for Doug. <laughs> but it's about surrender. It's about total surrender. Now, as a man, and I, again, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I was 40 years old when I came to Christ. Surrender? Well, that goes against everything I was ever taught about being a man. I always thought men said, never surrender. I think being in New England, it's particularly harder, right? We have this Yankee ingenuity, this toughness about us. I wonder if that's why New England is the most secular part of the country. Or maybe it plays a, a part of it, I don't know. I want to share something with you I read in a book recently. The book is titled God's Love Affair with the Guilty. It was written by Pastor Bill Lehman. I don't know if any of you had heard of him or are familiar with any of his work, but Pastor Lehman was a Seventh-day Adventist preacher for many, many years. He's since passed away. Um, I found him, I started listening to his sermons on the Inverity website run by the prayer ministry. You can go to inverity.org and you can find all kinds of sermons. Pastor Lehman understood righteousness by faith. And that's what he preached, righteousness by faith. And so this was just so profound, I want to share it with you. It starts off with a quote from Mount of Blessings. It says, the battle we have to fight, the greatest battle that was ever fought by man is the surrender of self to the will of God, the yielding of the heart to the sovereignty of love. That's from Mount, uh, Mount of Blessings, page 141. Pastor Lehman goes on to say, that struggle, which is the greatest battle ever fought by man, is the surrender of self to the will of God. We think that our struggle is in the gaining victory over sins, yet the secret to victory is not in the struggle with sin, but in surrendering our wills to Christ. We can ask for victory or we can surrender to Jesus. We pray, Lord, give me the victory, but we continue to meet with defeat. The Lord says, you must surrender to me. I am the only one who can give you success. So in Christianity, just praying for victory ends in failure. But in surrendering, there is success. If we pray simply for victory and we get victory, we're likely to end up like Pharisees. 
Therefore, I understand, if I understand this correctly, we must stop praying for victory and start praying for surrender. The big battles are not for victory. The big battles are for surrender. That's a tough thing for some people, especially men, to do, to surrender. We guys have a take-the-hill men mentality. The bigger and tougher men are, the more pride we have and the more difficult it is to learn to surrender. We feel that to surrender is defeat, but in reality, when we surrender, then victory comes our way. Victory comes only after surrender. When I find myself failing and failing and failing, I don't need victory. I need surrender to Christ. That doesn't sound natural and can be confusing. confusing. We all have difficulty with it, so don't point fingers at somebody else. I love Pastor Lehman's books. I have several of them. I've read several of them. Um, highly recommend. Go to inverity.org. You can get his sermons, his books. The whole nine yards. They're sold in the ABC, too. But I love that last line. We all have struggles. So don't point fingers at anybody else. Because no matter how perfect you think somebody is, that person is struggling with something. You know, maybe they, they look like the perfect little family and they have the perfect little house and the perfect little children and they have the perfect little jobs and, and everything's just perfect for those people. <clears throat> right? But they're struggling with something. I don't care who it is. They're struggling with something. You show me someone who says that they're not struggling with anything, I'll show you somebody who's struggling with the truth. I thought I'd get a ding on that one. <laughs> Life is a series of choices. As I said, God's greatest gift is, his, is giving us free will. God loves you so much that he gives you the choice to choose him. That's true love. And we all make choices. And the choices that we make, some are big, some are small, affect us and the people around us. Now, some choices, you know, do I turn left here? Do I turn right here? Do I go straight there? Do I wear a tie, this tie today? Do I wear that tie today? Maybe I don't want to wear a tie today. Many choices are bigger. Maybe I don't want to go to work today. Nobody's chaining me. Nobody's holding a gun to my head. I don't want to go to work and earn a living today. Nobody's forcing you. But there are consequences to our choices. If you choose not to go to work and not make a living, especially if you're married, you're going to find out consequences really quick. And maybe... Because you're not making a living, because that's your choice, you lose whatever you have here in this world. You could lose your house, your car, your family. But the choice is yours. When I look back on my life, this amazes me. And I can really get caught in this, this thought process. And it really just blows my mind how different choices that I have made through my life affect where I am today, right? 
I mean, I'll give you an example. Well, first of all, let me say this. If picking to go left or right, I will always pick the wrong way. It just happens, right? Um, if the normal way of going to do things is this way, Doug's going this way. Guarantee it, right? I, today, I can't do it. I cannot pick the right aisle in the grocery store. It doesn't matter. I can't pick the right aisle on the turnpike. Right? I can't pick the right lane. I just can't pick it's like I have a distorted GPS in my head. It's like, you know, the whole world's saying, go this way. And Doug's like, mm, no, I'm doing it my way. But maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can't. Oftentimes when I look back, especially before I became a Christian, some even since becoming a Christian, many of my choices were made out of my own selfishness. I did what felt good to Doug at that time. But it's amazing how the choices we make can affect where we are today. Now, before I became a Christian, I was living and working in Maine. And I was a salesman on the road, and frankly, I was making really good money. And then a decision came up. My family wanted me to give all that up and move to New Hampshire because there was this restaurant in New Durham that was up for lease. And, oh, Doug, you, you've wanted to own a restaurant for years, and this is all perfect. And, you know, I mean, I have aunts, uncles around there, cousins. <coughs> Excuse me. I made a choice. I gave up the job in Portland, moved to New Hampshire, and become broke. <laughs> yeah, I never worked for a poor man until I worked for myself, right? Um, but because I made that choice, I met somebody who was a Seventh-day Adventist. I actually hired this person as my breakfast cook. I remember during the interview, oh, I can't work Saturday mornings because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And I went, you're a what? A wh I never heard of such a thing. What's a Seventh-day Adventist? Oh, well, we keep the Sabbath. Oh. Well, I grew up in a fairly Jewish neighborhood. I'm pretty familiar with the Jewish Sabbath, but can you work Sunday mornings? Yeah, okay, we'll work something out. I made a decision to hire this person. Ended up into a relationship with this person. This person brought me to the Seventh-day Adventist church. I made a decision to do Bible studies with this young man, Steve Barry, over here. And I used to drive up here from New Durham once a week, and we'd meet and do Bible studies at his house. <clears throat> I made a decision that what I was learning was the truth. I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't say, well, this is exactly what it is. I just knew I was in the right place. And I made a decision to be baptized. And since then, I've made different decisions, some good, some not so good. But all of my decisions, when I look back, led me to where I am here today. See, it wasn't a coincidence that I'm here on May 5th, 2018. God had this ordained before the foundation of the world. 
but my decisions led me to this point. If I had made different decisions, I may have never had the privilege of meeting you people. Maybe I'd still be in Portland making some good money. Oh, well, money's not everything, right? <laughs> but all the decisions that we make affect the path that we're on. So my prayer is to get out of God's way and just let him lead the path. Let him be that pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night for me. And don't move until he moves. But it can be mind-boggling when you think about all the decisions, right? I mean, if I hadn't married my first wife, I wouldn't have my son today. Maybe I'd have a son, but I wouldn't have this son. It's just mind-boggling. So what were the decisions in your life that led you to this point today? It's hard to think about it at the time, but every decision that we make is so important in our lives and in the lives around us. And then people say, well, but I'm struggling. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. Can I give you some biblical advice? First of all, that's awesome that you're struggling. It is. Because it means God's working in you. If you're not struggling, then, you know, those are the ones I really worry about. But if you're struggling, the Holy Spirit is working in you. I'll just run through this briefly because um, of time constraints. Steve told me I had to do this under three hours. I'm, I'm trying. Three hours-ish, right? A little bit on either side. Anyways, if you have pen and paper, if you want to write these down, if not, I'll be willing to share this. I can email it to Steve and he can send it out to you guys. But it's God's five-minute plan for victory. And the first one is Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. You can't sin when you're praying. I'm sorry, I can't. You can't. So watch and pray. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. We've got to cling to Jesus. He is the vine. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And there's no, there's no word except in there, okay? It's not like, well, I can do all things except quit smoking. I can do all things except. It doesn't say except in there. It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That's a promise. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, you believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Believe it. Believe God's promise. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, it's by God's grace. Like uh, Romans 6, 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Cigarettes are dead to me. That is dead to me. That no longer lives in my heart. 
Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. What does that scripture mean? Make not provisions for the flesh. If you're struggling with cigarettes, I'll use that as an example, and you surrender and you gain the victory, get rid of your cigarettes. Don't put them in the, in the cabinet, right? Or I'll give them to my friend down the street. Why do you want to kill them, right? Get rid of your lighters. Oh, well, maybe I need to light a campfire. Really? How often do you light a campfire? Come on, you live in an apartment complex. How often are you lighting a campfire? You know, get rid of your, your matches, your lighters. Get rid of your ashtrays. Well, what if my friends who smoke come over? Tell them to smoke outside. It's a non-smoking house now. Right? Get rid of it all. That's making pro- If you keep these things, you're making provision for the flesh. You're just, you're just, you're setting yourself up for failure, okay? If you're an alcoholic and you're overcoming alcohol, get rid of all alcohol in your house. Get rid of your bottle opener, whatever it takes, right? Don't hang out at the bar with your friends. That's just making provision for the flesh. Sorry, I went on on that one a little bit long. But anyways, um, Matthew 14, 22 through 29, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it talks about... Um, Jesus was in the ship in the midst of the sea and tossed to the waves. Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus will calm the storm in your life. That's a promise. That's what that, that's what that scripture is about. It's a, it's a promise from Christ. Um, I also love this from Ellen White. I just have to share an Ellen White quote all the time. Desire of ages, the omnipotent power of the Holy Spirit is the defense of every contrite soul. Not one that in penance and faith has claimed his protection will Christ uh, permit to pass under the enemy's power. Not one. The Savior is by the side of his tempted and tried ones. With him there can be no such thing as failure, loss, impossibility, or defeat. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. When temptation and trials come, do not wait to adjust, um, to adjust all the difficulties, but look to Jesus, your helper. That was Desire of Ages, page 490, paragraph 5. But it all sounds too easy, doesn't it? Doug, it's just too easy. I think that's part of the problem, is that people, it is easy. Well, it is and it isn't. But surrender, just give it all to Christ. Follow him. And I think people want to make it more difficult than it is because it sounds too easy. Maybe that's why we have such a hard time with this. Maybe we think that we need to do something to end our struggles. But we fail every time we do. You see, the way of escape is Jesus Christ. He is the only way of escape. So in closing, I have a couple of appeals for you today to prayerfully consider. I would ask you to, in a a prayerful mode, to close your eyes and bow your heads. And again, I ask, I ask this question at every sermon because Sister White says we need to ask this on every message. If there's somebody here today 
who's never totally surrendered to Christ. I'm inviting you to make that decision today. Remember, decisions you make today will affect your life. I promise you, if you've never accepted Christ and you make that decision, it will turn your whole world upside down for the better. My second appeal is to surrender all to Christ. Not just today, every day. Not just every day, but every minute. Don't hold anything back from him because he didn't hold anything back for you. Jesus held nothing back when he died. Maybe you've been in the church for a long time. That's okay. You know what? Surrender today. Maybe you say, well, my family's got this long legacy in the church. That's great. Make your legacy one of surrender and start today. I promise you it will change your life. I want to have a special prayer for your decisions. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, you read the hearts of each one of these precious souls. Each one of these precious souls is so important to you, Lord. And you read the hearts and you know the decisions that were made today, Lord. I don't know them, but you do. And I do know that the angels are singing praises over decisions for you today, right here, right now. Father, I pray for each person here who made a decision, whether it was a decision to accept you for the first time or it was a decision to surrender. Maybe they surrendered yesterday. Maybe they surrendered last week. But today they chose to surrender again to you. Father, I pray that we all surrender each and every moment to you. And I pray for each one of these souls, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Sabbath and amen. Our closing hymn, I never remember. 590, trust and obey. Is there it? Shall we stand?
That is the only way to trust and obey, Lord. Father, I pray to surrender to you each day, each moment of every day. And I pray for each one of us here to surrender. <coughs> it's all about surrender, Lord. It's not about anything I can do. It's not about anything anybody in this room can do today. It's all about you and surrendering and trusting and obeying, Lord. So, Father, I just pray for continuing blessings and Sabbath day, Lord. Uh, please do each one of the souls. We thank you for the beautiful weather out there today. 